Hi, Teresa. I just wanted you to know how excited I was to record this episode with you. Just whenever you're ready, I don't want you to feel any pressure. I want you to feel comfortable. So That's whatever. a 10-yard penalty for excessive politeness. It's Schmanners. I am your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Good morning, my dove. Good morning. <laughs> it's a it's a early morning for the at Schmanners HQ. An early morning recording session. Because uh I'm in the middle of filming the My Brother, My Brother, Me TV show. And you're whispering. And I'm whispering because it's the morning and I don't want to wake <laughs> up all the little birdies. The, and the schedule for the TV show is a little tight, which means recording at like 7.30 a.m. So, hello. Uh, Teresa, I guess my question is, are you ready for some football? <laughs> I know how much you love football normally, and then add to that at 8 a.m. morning. Well, I, I, want, I want to put a caveat on that. It's not that I don't love football. Do you know what I don't like? You don't like how much I get into and talk about and listen to and watch football. It's the fantasy football thing. It's, yes. It was, this, is, this is my impression of Travis. Travis looking at his phone. Oh, my gosh. Travis, what's wrong? Oh, Reggie Williams. Reggie Williams isn't a person, but okay. <laughs> what? Who is it? Well, I'm sure there's a Reggie Williams somewhere. But he I don't think he Fine. Plays Give me another. Uh, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. He's out. He's injured. That would be huge, though. The and then is, I and then I have yeah. to say, you're not allowed to act like that over things that aren't real. But Don't they are real. But they're real people but because they yes. get invested in it as, as one might a TV show or a a book or uh, or you know sports. Yes, but when you gasp like that, I think that there's someone who actually impacts our life. I feel like Antonio injured. Brown and I are best friends at this point. Well, I feel very close to you've Antonio You've never met Brown. the man. You don't even know. Well, him. I mean, there's lots of people I haven't met that I feel very close to, um, but I just feel like Antonio Brown and I have a bit of a spiritual connection. But I understand. But, you know, <laughs> I could tell by the look you're giving me that you're ready to move on. Uh, the thing is, is I, I never used to be a football dude. Like, for a long time, I was not a person who was interested in football. And then I started doing fantasy football, and and because I got invested in individual players and in my ability to win or lose based on how they played, then I got into it. So for the last like four years, five years, I would say I've I've gotten pretty deep into football, and it this is uh, unlike our baseball episode where I would say baseball is the kind of sport where it seems hard to follow on the outside, but if you like watch one game, you're like, oh, okay. I kind of get it now because there's only like four things you can do at any point in baseball. Football, I think, is one of the more complicated ones because there there is a, you know, very clear goals and there's very clear ways to achieve those goals. But then pile on top of that, there's so many penalties and strategies and different options people can take at any given point that it can seem very overwhelming. Well, well, there are now. Yeah, now, there are. Now, now there are. Oh, well, did it used to be easier? So... Um, football as well as rugby and I, soccer. Oh, we should be clear. When we say football, we're going to mean American football. Yes. But it's a little bit of a mouthful to say American football every time. Eventually, we will do an episode on soccer and football. Football, I promise. But right now, we're talking about American football. And also, I think Canadian football. I think that they play very similarly to American football. But I am not as well-versed in Canadian football as I am the NFL. So football, American football, as well as rugby and soccer, are believed to have descended from the ancient Greek game, Harpiston. Harpiston. It's mentioned in classical literature, and it's often referred to as a very rough and brutal game. Here are the rules. You get a point when a player crosses the goal line by either kicking the ball, running the ball across it, or throwing it across to another player. How old is this game? Ancient Greeks. But 
did you notice how I didn't say any other rules? That was it. You just got the ball across. However, yeah. did you like stab a dude? Stop the team by any other means necessary. Was there death? Yes. A few. <laughs> there were a few. Um, and the thing is, there was no specific field length. There were no sideline boundaries. No specific numbers of players per team. So, yeah. so this was very much like we need everybody we can because the. Spartan jackals are going to have, you know, 150. And if we show up with 80, we're just going to get trounced. I, yeah, I guess so. Um, and also probably dead. Over time, football became a little more, well, less deadly. Yeah, relatively speaking. <laughs> um and this this type of football I'm talking about became classified as mob football and would be played by neighboring towns and villages. Still unlimited number of players per team. Um, but, you know, still they would drag an inflated pig's bladder across a goal line by any means possible. Um, and by many accounts, still any means could be used to move the ball towards a goal as long as it didn't lead to manslaughter or murder. So is this like, we just watched an episode of horrible histories from the UK and they talked about that. Like basically they would, the two neighboring villages would play and the distance, the field was between the two villages Hmm. and they were like trying to get it. And you would see people in it, like beating each other up and like holding each other down. And like everybody would get to the point where, if I remember correctly from the episode, King Henry had to put a, put the kibosh on it because people were getting too injured to fight in the wars. Is that true? Well, not only that, um, but yeah, during the 12th century, the game was so popular that Henry II um, thought that it was taking away interest from the traditional sports of England, mm-hmm. like fencing and archery. Stuff that would get you prepared for war. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> As opposed to football, that just gets you ready for some football. Right. So there really wasn't much change in football until the 1800s when they really started to make a consistent effort to um, fix rules and boundaries. Um, and that's when it was picked up by seven major public schools of England. That's so interesting to me because I think of sport now in the modern day as existing because of rules and like because of like restrictions of like, well, what's the difference between football and soccer? Well, because the rules are different and this is different and you can use your hands, but you you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just like, I don't know, grab a ball and go. Seems like the way like six year olds play games, you know? Yeah. Well, so all of the the major schools, um, well, six of the seven schools were playing the game, you know, like Eton and Winchester and things like that. Um, but rugby school was playing a markedly different version of football. What do you Might think I that guess was? Rugby? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no badminton. You're way off. Um. So then, over to America. I've heard of it, yes. Yes, yes. A Harvard tradition started in 1827 known as Bloody Monday, which was a mass football game between freshmen and sophomore classes. That I wouldn't want to partake. Just from branding alone, it's not a really good marketing scheme. Well, yeah. I mean, when you talk about this kind of mob football where... You get it, get it across, do whatever you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was banned in 1860 Good. by the town police and the college authorities. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but the game itself, other than Bloody Monday, did survive the 1860s. Um, and Yale, Princeton, Rutgers, Brown... Um, they started all playing this popular kicking game, right? Which is basically football. Um, this is once again very interesting to me because when you think about college football, like very rarely, and I'm not going to say across the board because I, I, you know, there's always exceptions, but very rarely do you think of these like Yale, Hart, like, 
as being football schools. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they have teams and I'm sure those teams are great, but there are colleges that exist and people like know them as really great sports schools. And then there's like the schools you go to and it's like, no, no, no. And the joke is like, yeah, that they don't have a football team. And it's just interesting to hear it starting at like Yale and Harvard and Rutgers. And, you know, I went to a college that I don't think had a football team. Wright State didn't have a football team. No, right. They have to have a foot. They just might not be any good, but they have to have a foot. I went. I, I went the other so. direction. I went to the University of Oklahoma and went to also a little bit Marshall University. Both schools that are pretty much driven by their football team. I don't think so. We uh, Wright State's basketball school. Okay, well, we'll talk about that on another episode. <laughs> so then, those colleges I mentioned, I should say that they were doing the kicking version. Whereas the Montreal Football Club in Canada was doing more of a running version, which close, more closely resembles rugby. Gotcha. All right. On to professional football. Okay. On November 12th, 1892. A day that will live in football history. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to add a little gravitas. The Allegheny Athletic Association football team defeated the Pittsburgh Athletic Club. Take that, Pittsburgh. And William Pudge Heffelfinger. I like that. That's a great name. William Pudge Heffelfinger. Mm-hmm. Nice. Became the first professional football player. Someone gave him 10 bucks for a good game? No, actually, um, he was given $500 cash. Oh, at the time, that's a real good. Right. Um, and this is what the NFL looks to as pro football's birth certificate. The, um, the evidence of the out and out cash payment, uh, is on an expense sheet that, um, now is pretty much, they point at it and say, this is when it happened. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have in your notes about how easy it used to be to start a professional football team? No, I do not. Well, this is true because I learned about this from an episode of Baby Geniuses when they were talking about this guy who started a football team basically to promote his dog breeding business. And it used to be that if you wanted to start a professional football team, basically all you had to do was like pay for it. Whereas now there's 32 teams and like that's it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you want to have a team in your town, basically got to move it there. Yeah. It used to be if you were just like, no, here's the money. I have a team now. And then so there were like all kinds of teams. There were like hundreds of teams and they have since now boiled it down to 32. Ah, well, I'm sure that that does make things like bowl games a little easier. It's, It's a lot easier. Well, Bowl games are more of a college football thing. But, yeah, Super Bowl playoffs, that kind of stuff is a lot easier with 32 teams. And it's also a lot easier to, like, manage the NFL in general <laughs> when you don't have the, that same guy. The guy who started his dog breeding business was also uh, attributed as the inventor of the halftime show because he would have, like, rodeo and horse, you know, riding displays and trick riding displays and that kind of thing. And I'm going to give you his name right now. His name was Walter Lingo, and he was an Airedale Terrier breeder in LaRue, Ohio, during the 1920s, and he uh, owned the Oorang Dog Kennels, so he started the Oorang Indians in 1922. Oh, wow. Interesting fact, the team was comprised entirely of Native Americans. That makes sense. Yeah. So, up to this point, pretty much any group of people who played football had like their own kind of house rules and football got really, um, really popular after the civil war in different athletic clubs that sprang up and every club had their own rules for it. So, uh, this guy came along, he was a coach at Yale and his name was Walter Camp and he is credited with actually molding football into what it most likely resembles today. Um, He cut the number of players from 15 to 11. He instituted the size of the playing field at 110 yards. Um, He introduced the system of downs. Um, He, so at first... So he kind of structured 
a yeah. lot of what we know today. Yeah. So at first they were only allowed three attempts to advance the ball five yards, and then they changed it with his help in 1906 to 10 yards, and then in 1912 they added four yards, sorry, the fourth down. So, like, he's helping the whole kind of system evolve into what we see today. Um, one more interesting thing I just saw that I wanted to point out about the establishing teams in Walter Lingo. Do you want to guess how much it cost to start a team in 1922? Didn't you say $10? Well, it was $100. And the interesting fact is Walter Lingo would sell a purebred Air Dad Terrier for $150. So starting an NFL team cost less than buying a dog in 1922. Maybe he sold the dogs to pay for the team. Well, eventually, through promoting the dogs through the team, he made over a million dollars selling Airedale Terriers. Sorry. It's just an interesting story. Walter Lingo. Look it up. That's it for my little history lesson, because basically by 1915, all the other rules were, were a little less consequential. Things like no more locking arms of teammates in an effort to clear the way for the ball carriers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the structure wasn't changing anymore. It was more being changed. Rules were being added in order to promote the safety and the speed of the game. Speaking of, should should I give like a my as quick as I can rundown of like the structure and rules and stuff of football? Sure. Okay. Bear with me, folks. I'm going to spew out a lot of information here, but I'm going to try to make it as concise as possible. And I don't have notes or anything, so I'm just going off my dome out of the old brain piece. I believe in you. You can do it. So basically, it works like this. Um, um, and so let's go off uh, baseball. Let's compare a little bit to baseball to start off with, um, because that's the other sport we've done. One of the biggest differences is the length of time that you play. With baseball, it's structured by how many innings you play, unless you go into overtime, nine innings. Those innings can take as long as they take. So nine innings could take two and a half hours, five hours, however long. In football, you play four 15-minute quarters. And so it's measured by time rather than completion of, of segments. Now, with those 15-minute quarters, you hear that and you think, oh, so the game is an hour long. Well, there's timeouts, TV timeouts, halftime, you know, just the time it takes for them to line back up because the clock only runs when play is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, The exception to that, okay, as long as we're talking about time, if the ball is grounded via an incomplete pass or going out of bounds then the clock stops. If a person is tackled and the ball stays inbounds, the clock keeps running. Hmm. Okay. So basically in football, you're trying to run downfield, move the ball downfield, throw the ball downfield into the end zone. Football field 100 yards long um, with the end zones on either end, um, and you're just trying to get down the field however you can. See, like I said, there's a lot going on, so I'm trying to keep it in mind. The two main ways to do that are to run or to pass. Um, running is a little bit more secure, uh, but it well, because a you're bit actually holding on to the ball, whereas Correct. if you pass it, you let go of the ball and you run the risk of it being intercepted because the ball's just like in the air; anyone can grab it. So the main position in football, um, and I don't mean that as a judgment call in their value, but rather as a pivoting point, is the quarterback. So the quarterback gets the ball offensively, gets the ball, and then decides what to do with it. Most of the time, they've already structured the play, and they know what play they're going to do. And most of the time, either hands it off to a running back or throws it to a receiver. There is also, while the offensive like receivers, running backs are going, there's an offensive line who's trying to protect the receivers and the running back, but, and especially the quarterback, because while they're lined up, there's a defensive line from the other team who wants to stop that ball from moving. And the fastest way to do that is to stop the quarterback before the quarterback can hand it off or throw it or any of that. Mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm. Basically you have four downs um, to move 10 yards. Um, If you you have four chances, you have four chances to move 10 yards. And if you get, 10 yards, 
your set of downs starts over again. So basically, if you get to your fourth down and you haven't moved 10 yards, if you don't finish those 10 yards, if you don't get 10 yards, the ball turns over to the other team. Ah. So it's very risky. So like 95% of the time, they'll punt it off to the other team, which means they'll kick it downfield to the other team where that other team catches it is now where they start. Ah. So you're trying to move the ball in 10 yard or more increments every four downs. Is that clear? Yes. Most of the time what you'll see is they will run it first to see if they can get it um, and then throw and then running it, whatever they need to do. But that's kind of where the strategy comes in. How do we move it downfield? Now, if you're on the defense, you're trying to, you know, tackle the quarterback or intercept the ball or knock the ball out of the runner's hands or the quarterback's hands and then pick it up. Because if it's this is where it gets a little tricky. And But if you've never watched or played football before, if the quarterback throws the ball and you catch it in the air, it's an interception. If the quarterback throws the ball and it hits the ground, it's a dead ball. If it gets knocked out of someone's hand before it's thrown, it's a fumble and you can pick it up and now the ball is yours. Okay. Cool? Yeah. Now, that's all basics. I mean, you're trying to move the ball into the end zone. When you do, you get six points. Whether you catch it there or you, you know, run it in. And then there's out of bounds all around and you have to, if you catch the ball, you have to catch it in bounds. So, that's why sometimes you see these really crazy catches where they, it looks like they're drabbing, dragging their tiptoes along the ground as they catch and then go out of bounds. It's because you have to get two feet in bounds in order for it to be a legal ah. catch. Um, so catching, running, all that stuff. Now, here's where it gets especially tricky. On top of all of that, there are so many penalties and restrictions in football that it can be really hard to keep track of. Well, and, and that's probably for safety's it's sake. exactly mostly. what it is. There's so many of them that just revolve around trying to keep people safe. Because at the end of the day, you got these 250-pound, 300-pound guys just slamming into each other. Right. And so, and like at full momentum, and it's really hard to tell these guys like, hey, be aggressive, but also be careful. Mm -hmm. So they try to put into place all these restrictions like limiting helmet-to-helmet contact, when you can tackle people, because there's rules about like just tackling people for no reason, tackling people after they're out of bounds. There's late hit penalties. There's you know excessive roughness. There's all of these penalties, roughing the passer, all these things that are just to protect the quarterback, the wide receivers, the running, all those guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there's also stuff like how you can catch it, what determines if it's a catch or not. Because, and it gets a little subjective where it's like, okay, did they have control of it? So, like, referees are very, very important. It's why there's, you know, reviews of plays. And, you know, so you have your coach can challenge a play. And this is something that's fairly unique um, the way it's done in football. And you have like a red flag you can throw down as the coach to challenge a play and have it reviewed. Um, Which I'm sure became a lot easier with the invention of television yes, or the camera. <laughs> very much so. The, the reviewing the plays became a lot easier when they could do, like, when they had like six HD cameras whirring around everywhere. Um, but I mean, that's, that's basically it. And. So let me tell you a little bit about why. Let me give a quick sales pitch for why I like watching football. Okay. A lot of action in a very brief amount of time. If you watch like a basketball game or a soccer game, it's constant. Like they're, they're un, until the whistle blows and play is called dead in baseball or in basketball and, and, and soccer, people are moving constantly. And it can be both exhausting and confusing for the layman to track what's going on. Whereas in football, you only have to worry about one play at a time. Hmm. They do a play and it either goes well or it ends. And then they reset and then they do it again. And then they reset and then they do it again. And, and so like you only have to keep track of a very brief amount of time at a time. Um, very much like baseball where it's like, Oh, okay. Well, 
it's the end of an inning now, so nothing's going to happen for like five minutes. I can go use the bathroom and grab a hot dog. And so it's a it's easily digestible. I think so. In my opinion, it is. And there's always the potential in any play for something huge to happen. Like whether it's a guy breaks off for like a 92 yard run into the end zone. And it's like, no one can catch him. He's going, Oh, they'll never stop. Like that kind of like Mm -hmm. huge burst of like emotion. Or it's like, you know, it's still like, I think it's been like three years since it happened, but Odell Beckham jr. Made this like one handed catch in the end zone to like win a game for the giants and people still talk about that catch. So like, there's always this possibility of like watching someone do something that you didn't know a human being was capable of doing. You see these guys like dive over six defenders to get into the end zone. And it's like a superhero move. I mean, it's one of my, one of the reasons I loved watching Marshawn Lynch play Marshawn Lynch was, uh, and might still be, it's weird, a running back for the Seattle Seahawks. And they called him beast mode. Because basically, like, it would take four or five defenders to stop him. So you would see this, like, human locomotive moving down the field with, like, guys dragging on him. Wow. And, like, that's – it's watching these players kind of, you know, rise above human limitations. And the problem with that is – now I'll say the negative sides of it. The problem with that is – a lot of injuries. Oh, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of danger for football players. Some, I'm trying to remember the exact number, but like the average length of career of a professional football player is like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you see a lot of very, very painful injuries, career-ending injuries, and, and sometimes worse, um, one of the biggest issues that they're kind of constantly trying to deal with in the NFL is concussions. Right. Um, because concussions can not only be career ending, but sometimes incredibly detrimental to long-term health of the players. Um, they can have serious long-term effects. And, you know, if you think about it, there are guys like, for example, Antonio Brown or, um, well, let's say like, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's a great example. Super long career. Um, played till he was like 39 or something. And he's going to have income for the rest of his life as a sponsor, you know, as sponsored for things or commentator on football. He could basically walk into ESPN and get a paycheck whenever he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Right. But then there are those guys who play for two seasons as like, you know, a defensive lineman and they get their knee blown out and like, or worse, a couple of concussions. They never made a big name for themselves. So like no one wants to give them money to endorse their thing and no one wants them to be a commenter on their, you know, on their football show and they have brain damage from concussions so they can't work. So unfortunately, you see a lot of these like, you know, smaller name guys. I don't want to not as a judgment, but just as a fact, not everyone is as famous as Peyton Manning. Right. That can no longer work. And so they went from being professional football players in the NFL to unable to get a job. Right. So there's a lot of danger and risk. And so this is just a little schmanners thing for me to you. It's very easy, and you see it a lot of people on Twitter and Facebook saying stuff like, well, why don't we pay our teachers and our nurses like we play our football players? And listen, I wish that we did. I wish that we paid our teachers and and our nurses as well as we played our football players. But be very careful not not to diminish the risk that is involved in playing football because people have gotten very, very seriously injured, you know, paralyzed, never walk again, you know, very, very serious injuries come out of playing football. That's just a little thing for me to you. I'm very supportive of football players. Well, great. And thank you for that great explanation. Now let's hear from another Max Fun show. Are you a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation? 
Well, that's weird because it's a corny show. But my friends Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica do a lovely podcast about it. It's called The Greatest Generation and it's on MaximumFun.org. I thought that this podcast was a bad idea, but I was wrong. Please listen to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. Hey there, European Max Funsters. Do not miss your chance to catch some of your favorite Max Fun shows live at the London Podcast Festival, September 22nd through 26th. See amazing guests like Armando Iannucci, Josie Long, and Romare on stage with Jesse Thorne during Bullseye, bust a gut at classic panel show hijinks with International Waters, and witness some tough but fair internet justice dispensed by Judge John Hodgman himself. The Beef and Dairy Network show is already sold out, but hey, at least you can enjoy being in the proximity of the premier expert on beef animals and dairy herds, right? More guests will be announced soon and tickets are going fast. Go to MaximumFun.org for tickets right now so you don't live a life steeped in regret. Okay, we've got some questions. Well, I have one more thing I want to go over before we get to questions. Okay. I went on the NFL's website mm-hmm. and found some pretty interesting things about fan etiquette that I'd like to share. Okay. This, I would like to read, is a, is a direct pull from their website. The NFL is serious about fan safety and improving the game day experience for all fans. They want to make attending games a fun, friendly family experience. This is part of the reason why the fan conduct class became a permanent part of their policy for best practices for all stadiums league-wide. Simply put, bad behavior at games will not be tolerated. If one is ejected from the game, every stadium will require that fan to complete certain requirements to re-enter again. One of those requirements may be to take the fan conduct class. This class is aimed at teaching ejected fans about the particular stadium safety and conduct policies so that they don't repeat the behavior that got them ejected the first time. Cool. Whoa, right? I like that. So this is what the four-hour class that you can take online covers. Um, An introduction, purpose, and benefits of the fan conduct class, the stadium's code of conduct, alcohol abuse and public intoxication warnings, a a segment titled, What is Disruptive Fan Behavior? (laughs) Then another segment, Entitled, Gaining Control of Ourselves. Wow. Uh, Next, they'll discuss skills in improving empathy towards other fans. Skills for becoming less impulsive and improving judgment. Skills for better managing stress and learning new ways of staying in control during game day experiences. Communication skills as prevention of foul or abusive language or obscene gestures. Verbal or physical harassment of the opposing team's fans will be covered, uh, smoking policies, and then another review of the stadium code of conduct and course skills. Everyone should take this class. And like I said, if you're ejected from a stadium, which it seems like the NFL is fairly serious about, mm-hmm. uh, you have to take this class and you have to present your certificate once you're finished to the security officials in order to get back in for the next game. This is an excellent... You mentioned like my fantasy football, uh, how, how involved I get into it. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a good moment to mention this of like, if you are a fan of something... There's, it is okay in the moment to be very invested in something, but you need to practice almost immediately letting it go. Yeah, I think so. Like it's, it's one thing to like, that's why I liked that gaining control of ourselves kind of thing Mm -hmm. is very Zen because that idea of like, you know, guy rushing downfield, like, oh, he's, no one could touch him. He's going to get the, right? And then, like, a defender catches up with him and knocks the ball out of his hand. It's okay in that moment to be very frustrated. But then it has no more, like, impact on your life after that moment. It's a moment, and it's gone, and you need to let go. Yeah, so be in that moment, 
and then be in the next moment where you're just eating a hot dog and it's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, so this question is from Lizzie. If I hate football and my family is having a party, am I allowed to just hide upstairs and sneak down only for food? You really have to discuss that with your family um, because American football, especially watching it on television, has become such a community event um, that I think that if it is important to your family that you be there, you might oblige them and do that. Um, However, if you and your family have discussed your lack of interest, really, um, and can't come to an agreement where everyone is happy, I would say it probably is best that you stay away um, because no one really wants to watch you sulk. Here's, Here's the trick. This is, without being, if I may, too forward, the question is, when you say you hate football, do you mean you hate football or do you mean you hate watching football with your family? Mm. Because it is one thing if your family behaves in a very invested, boisterous, don't nobody talk while the play's going on, oh, we're all yelling kind of way. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, I just don't want to be around that. Cool. But if you're saying, like, I just don't care about football, the watching the football, the communal football experience is so very little about actually watching football. Like, it's about being in the room, talking, oh, play's going on, oh, it ended, okay, and you're back to, like, hanging out. It is a very, right. especially if the group is large enough, mm-hmm. that you don't really have to care about football to hang out with your family. Um, in general, that's kind of good, not just for football, but in anything. You don't have to be invested in the thing that you're doing to be invested in your family, you know? Yeah. Uh, this is from Renee. What's the best way to respond to an inner... In- injury if you're an athlete or in the crowd i feel bad staring at a person in pain so basically what renee is asking is when someone's injured in the game everything kind of seems to stop well everything does stop and suddenly all eyes are on the field to see if that person walks off if they're carried off on a stretcher what how are they going to get up are they okay and it becomes a very very tense situation and and she's afraid that she's oogling it Yes, feels uh, Renee feels bad just like staring, but but it's kind of what everybody does because everything stopped, you know. Like there's nothing going on except that person. I I uh, let me ask you this: What's let's put it this way? Let's put it in a either or. What's ruder? Everybody watching to see if the person is okay, or beginning talking amongst yourself and ignoring this injured person on the field and pretending like they're not there. Um, especially in this day and age of all the cameras on field and the jumbotrons and things like that, I think it's going to be really hard to just ignore it. Um, and I, I also think that anyone injured in the game enough to stop the gameplay, uh, really kind of deserves that, that attention. They, they need it. Um, and it's, it's. I would suggest to Renee to change the mindset where it's not, you're not staring at someone because they're hurt. You're supporting them. You're, you're very concerned. You're very interested. Well, and and not even, I wouldn't even say interested. You're giving them your attention because they, they need that attention. That's a good point because the other side of this would be like, if everybody in the stadium wasn't suddenly wrapped and started being very antsy, you don't want to send the signal to like the owners and NFL of like, we don't care about injuries. Just move it along. Like that's not cool. We need to say like, no, take all the time you need. Make sure the person's okay. Right. Uh, this question is from Maxi. If you don't have a team you support, but you enjoy watching, is it okay to pick a side or switch halfway? Not being a real... Oh, sorry. Pick a side. Pick a side and switch halfway. Uh, Not being a real football fan myself, um, if I am watching a football game, I tend to just go along with whoever is in the room. Um, Yeah. Like, we went to our lovely um, friends, the Smurls' house, 
and watched a Marshall game. Just watched Marshall just destroy Morgan. Just and um, it, was, it was embarrassing. I don't have anything really involved in that race, but everyone was cheering on Marshall, so I kind of got into it. You know, that's that the people in the room were were for Marshall, and so I was in the room, so I was for Marshall. So that's what I would suggest to you is to um, to to really use the energy in the room to bolster your own excitement so that you can go along with whatever they're doing if you don't care. And it's a little fake it till you make it kind of thing. Yeah. Because like even if you don't get the the fun of football is like investment. So pretend to be invested. Like just choose a team and be like, okay, on this this game I'm gonna support Carolina and like then ride the roller coaster of emotion if they're winning or losing. Then the game ends, and you have no investment, and you get to walk away. I would not recommend switching halfway through. That is, I, I believe that is seen as poor taste or a fair weather fan. Yeah, and plus that's not as fun, because that, that takes away from the, the investment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, this is from Marky. How much can I ignore real football teams and focus on my fantasy teams during office conversations? <laughs> I have a little bit of insight. A little bit of insight from Travis McElroy, perhaps? The nice thing, Marky, is they dovetail together very, very well. What I really love, I do not ascribe to being a a particular fan of one football team so much as I know a little bit about a lot of players on a lot of different teams, which actually makes you very well suited to discuss lots of different uh, teams with people at the office. I think in this day and age, Fantasy football has become very, very mainstream. And I think it is perfectly acceptable to say to people like, well, I don't really have a team. I've got my team, but check out who's on it. I'm doing great. Like fantasy football. Okay. I'm going to, may I have 30 seconds to describe fantasy football to people who don't know it? Sure. Basically what it is, is you have a team. You let's start with an eight person league. You and seven of your friends have a draft you each pick players no one can have the same player on both teams so everybody picks players for their team let's go general structure is you pick a quarterback you pick two wide receivers you pick two running backs you pick a tight end you pick a kicker you pick a defense there's also like flex visit but that's not important and then on game days depending on how well those person people do in the games you score points towards your fantasy league and you compete against each other to see who gets the most points. So it's a great way to get yourself really invested in the game without having to follow a particular team or like make sure you don't miss a game or whatever, but you still get to know the NFL and the players and the teams very well. Um, So it's kind of like a crash course education in football. But you can play fantasy football without knowing anything about football. You don't have to know the rules of football, anything. And so, like, it's how I got into it. It's how I learned what I know. And then you'll find in conversations with people like, oh, I actually know what they're talking about and who they're talking about. And I can join in on this. I think it's super fun. You can play for free. Highly recommend it. And it's not too late. You can start after the season starts. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Go check it out. Very cool. This is from Amanda. How to politely indicate I am not interested in sports. I think with a lot of other um, conversation topics, a a gentle, oh, okay, that's great. And then move on, like pick a new subject. Um, you, don't, you don't have to say, mm, sports don't really interest me. Let's talk about something that really interests me. Um, Maybe not like that, but I I would say it doesn't hurt to say, like, I don't follow football. Because, like, people who do, trust me, as someone who does, I'm constantly looking for someone to discuss news with. Mm -hmm. If I hear, like, oh, he's injured and he's out for the seat. Like, I found myself doing this over the past week, filming the TV show where a notification will pop up on my phone. I'm just, like, looking around the room, like, who here cares about football? (laughs) I have to talk to somebody. Well, what I don't want to encourage is uh, some some. Something that would say, oh, teach me about football, especially if you're not interested in it. Um, So 
maybe maybe something in between the two would work a little better. Maybe something like, oh, I don't know. I don't really care very much about football, but let's talk about this other thing so that you continue the conversation without the invitation of I want to learn more. Yes. And also I would say if if you mean rather than conversation, like someone invites you to come watch, let's let's clarify and like boil down our earlier discussion. Ask them what kind of watch party it's going to be. If it's a everyone wrapped on the attention on the TV, screaming and jumping to their feet and yelling the whole time, you don't want to go to that. If it's like now we're just hanging out and the TV is gonna be on in the background, cool, go, hang out. You might end up having fun. This is from Cameron. In the modern age of DVR, not everyone watches the big game. On Monday, when I'm talking to coworkers slash friends about the game, should I give a spoiler alert before I start talking about the game? I think that it would be polite to ask if anyone has, uh, hasn't seen the game yet. Um, but I, I still don't think that by that time, if anyone hasn't seen a, a score catch-up online or uh, a highlights kind of review on on television, there's it's not really a spoiler. Yeah, it also depends what kind of person you're talking to. Like, unless it's like the big game, you know what I mean? Or a playoff or something. Like, the final... The final score isn't really why you watch a football game like you Mm -hmm. watch it to watch it um so like i i feel like even if you said yeah it ended up being 21 20 like okay like now here's the thing if it's a close game so i will say spoiler alert here um in case you haven't watched it it was over a week ago but the first game of the season (laughs) did come down to 21 20 and it was like down to a field goal in like the last couple seconds a game like that, like if you know the game was like really close and came down to like one big play at the end, yeah, maybe don't discuss that. But if the team was up 49 nothing at halftime, yeah, you're probably fine to like, yeah, they beat them 49 nothing. It was never close. There was never any tension. Like they scored their first three drives of the game and then it was over. Like there was no tension. There was no big twist ending, you know? I would like to say though, if if there is something so uh, attention grabbing as, you know, the last play saving the game for a team, don't you think that that's going to be discussed other places Definitely. almost immediately after? I don't I don't think that it's on you to shelter your friends from that, especially if it's going to be hashed and rehashed on news sites and highlight reels and and things like that. I've got it. Are you ready for this? All right. This saves you from having to say spoiler alert. And this is start every time with this. Hey, did you see the game last night? It's tales all this time. It's a great sense. It works (laughs) because then that presents your friend the opportunity to say, nope, nope, but don't say anything because I recorded it. I'm going to watch it when I get home. Okay, let me know when you do, and we'll talk about it. All right. Okay. This is from Rini. I don't know a lot about football, but I would like to learn. Can I ask questions while the game is on? Should I wait till a commercial break? Should I wait until the game is over? Um, I don't think you have to wait till the game is over. Certainly not. Um, like, like you said, Travis, there's a, there's a lot of hurry up and wait kind of in football. And as long as you don't ask a question expecting an immediate answer when the ball is in the air and they fumbled it and nobody knows whose it is, um, then you, it's fine to ask questions. Most football, uh, enthusiasts, I'm certain will be happy to oblige you. That's exactly what I was going to say, because like people who love football, Mostly love talking about football. (laughs) And, you know, I I would say that much like any game, the best way to learn it is to just, like, watch it. I was going to say play it, but it's a little bit different with the NFL. But the best way to do it is to watch it. I mean, because over time, you'll start to pick up, like, at first you'll pick up the rules, and then you'll pick up the penalties, and then you'll pick up the strategy. You know, like, you're not going to get it all in your first game. So just worry about having fun and just relax and just like enjoy your hanging out with your friends. Then eventually 
you'll get more and more invested in it. But don't expect on your first football game ever to completely understand. It took me like three years before I fully understood what was going on. And even then, I still learn new things as I watch. So just allow yourself to enjoy hanging out with friends and family. And I think that's going to do it for us this week. I would like to leave our listeners with an Emily Post quote. Are you ready for some football? (laughs) No. Although I'm sure she might have said that. Probably. She's not quoted to saying that, though. To be a good sportsman, one must be a stoic and never show rancor in defeat or triumphant victory or irritation, no matter what annoyance is encountered. One who cannot help sulking or explaining or protesting when the loser or exulting when the winner has no right to take part in games or contests. Boom. Sick burn, Emily. I think I think that she is not only speaking to the sports operator, but also the sports fan. Um, it really does go back to what you said earlier, that it's important to enjoy the game and live the moments that happen in the game and then let those moments go. Because so so many of the the arguments that result in ejection from a game and and booing and expletives and and things that are probably not the the nicest thing that you can do at a game um really come from all of this you know the rancor and triumph and irritation that results in hanging on to those moments agreed enjoy then let go yep um, that's going to do it for us for real this week. Thank you for joining us on Schmanners. You can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. Uh, you can email us, SchmannersCast at gmail.com. You can join the Schmanners Facebook group. Go check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. Uh, I believe all the tickets for Candle Nights are sold out, but we will see everyone who got tickets there. Um, and the next couple episodes are going to be uh, biography episodes because we weren't able, well, because my schedule, let's be honest, it's my <laughs> schedule, folks. So if you don't see us putting out the call for questions, that is why. Um, but uh, we will be putting out episodes, so don't worry if you don't see the questions out there. Um, if you have a chance, please go on iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. It's just really nice that it only takes a second and makes us feel really good. Do you have any thank yous, my dove? Well, I'd also like to say when you see us tweet about our new episodes, retweet us, please, and share those with your friends. We appreciate that as well. As always, I want to thank my my uh, my my girl, Emily Post. I want to thank the NFL for committing to fan safety and improving game day experiences. I really appreciate that. Um, thank you to Brent, Brentel Floss Black, for our theme song, which is available on iTunes. Go and check that out. And then thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for all of our beautiful banner and thumbnail art. And thank you very much to everyone who continues to join in our Facebook group. I really appreciate all the frank and polite discussion we're having. And that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners, get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.